You're listening to Inspired Caring with Michelle Magner, episode number 123. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're going to get going with Dr. Shilkut <laughs> because we've already dove into some of the rawness and vulnerability that comes with being a family caregiver. And I am grateful that she has shared very publicly her recent family experience, losing her brother-in-law Teach. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And you were saying it's just restored your faith in medicine. And I think all of us could use a little infusion in that because mm-hmm. it can be very easy to get caught up in the frustrations with the healthcare mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. and medical professionals. And um, we're definitely going to dive into Brave Foundries, your book, which is why you're here. I just wanted to um, re-highlight this because I think it's important for us to allow our medical professionals to shine. And this is their mm. superpower. Mm. Yeah. Is being with us in these times when it can be pretty challenging for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Michelle and I have been on this podcast for like 30 seconds before we both got really deep. <laughs> um, but, you know, medicine and working in healthcare and working in any capacity where you're caring for people, whether it's education or whether it's service or whether it's public service or medicine, you see it as your job, uh, you know, to do your job and you, you go to work and you do your job and you come home and we often don't realize the impact that we have on people in their most vulnerable state. And certainly, you know, I've been doing anesthesia now for almost 20 years and I see some of the hardest things, but I just see it as my job and I do it as my job. But now being on the other side of it in the last month, losing my brother-in-law and then my other brother-in-law getting a heart transplant, um, I was able to see the impact that everyone, whether it's the person drawing blood or the person, um, explaining a test to results or the physician or the nurse or whoever it is, I was able to see the impact of their care and really like what you said, their superpower and how it really does affect the healing and the grieving process of the patients and their families. And it has restored my faith in medicine that I think the pandemic just beat down and so much took from us as healthcare workers. Like I was, you know, I just realized like how important the work that we do is and how much just a smile or 
putting your hand on someone and just giving them a hug or squeezing their hand or just caring, you know, going that little, asking a 15 second question matters to people who are going through that process. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Our daughter, when she was a freshman in high school, had a virus and she was at Children's Hospital for eight days. She couldn't eat for 15 days. And the pain was unbearable. So we ended up at Children's and every, it gives me chills, every single person that left that room, be it um, the person who was in there to like tidy up their room and clean it for us or a nurse or a physician, everybody paused and asked, is there anything else I can get for you mm-hmm. or do yeah. for you? And it was, it just reminds us that we're all in this together, folks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we are all here to be part of the solution and the healing and, um, Mm-hmm. and uh taking care of one another yes yes, yes. yeah so it, i'm so glad really, we're talking today <laughs> yes <laughs> it really does um lead us into brave boundaries which my dog just joined me in the room so if we hear some squeaking <laughs> she's, she's on her way <laughs> brave boundaries and how important it is for us as family caregivers, as family members, as people in our society interacting with one another really do need boundaries. Mm -hmm. And this book truly had me thinking about boundaries in a completely different way than I had ever thought of them before. Usually I just thought of them in terms of me being a failure for having them. (laughs) (laughs) And enforcing them like, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I have no boundaries. But you know, you kick off in this book with explaining why I was feeling so bad about not having boundaries, mm. um, like where boundaries should even come have come from um, and expectations that I was having around myself. I was just curious if you would touch on that. Like, yeah, why do women think that we are never really enforcing our boundaries or having them? Well, it, it goes back to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of how society has placed women and how we have been taught to engage in our world as women. And so we're not taught to have boundaries because the truth of the matter is that the world runs on women not having boundaries, right? We know that women are assigned in our workplaces unpaid tasks more than men. Men aren't even asked to do them. Women are asked to do them nine times out of 10 tasks that someone has to do, but they're not really part of anyone's job description. You don't get paid or promoted to do. So Mm -hmm. we're very, you know, from a very young age, just being saying yes um, to things, um, showing up, being helpful, being a helper. You know, we're taught that in elementary school. It's how to earn gold stars and how to really excel as little girls is to be helpful and to be caring and to take care of our communities, whatever community that is. And so when we set a boundary or we feel like we need to set a boundary and say, no, I can't do this or say, 
this is how I can, will do this work. I will do this work if I'm paid X amount of money or if I'm given X amount of hours, I can complete this task. So whatever we set a boundary, whether it's how we ask someone to treat us in a relationship or how we ask our boss to treat us at work, we feel very anti-culture and we feel like we're doing something wrong. We literally mm-hmm. feel like we're sinning <laughs> when we mm-hmm. set a boundary because it's not what we're taught to do. Um, men are promoted for their boundaries. You know, when a man's men set boundaries, they're actually looked um, up at like, wow, they are really confident and they must have bigger, better things to do that they're setting this boundary. So men are promoted on it and we are penalized for them. And that's just facts. That's not like you can look at all the data and it's all there and, and it's not Sasha's opinion. It's just how our society runs. So when we find ourselves as women overcompensating, overworking, overfunctioning, which is the state of most of us as women, and we find ourselves totally exhausted and burned out and then really feeling very like frayed and like, okay, now I'm like going to snap at the next person that asks me to do something, which I don't want to do, but mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten here because I have no boundaries. When we find ourselves there, we feel like setting a boundary is like this monumental task that we don't have the energy to do. Right. It, the free labor that really stung and what it it made me realize is that other people had figured out my love language and they were using it against me. Like they were capitalizing on the fact that a little compliment here, a little ego stroke there, and I would bend over backwards for you. Mm-hmm. And even my kids have figured this out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, over the weekend, my daughter wanted me to wash her water bottle. Now she's home from college and I'm so happy she's here. And she said, but you do just such a good job, mom. I was like, oh my gosh. And I said to her out loud, you cannot use my love language against me. (laughs) Love that. I love that. Well, and it strokes our egos too. That's another thing that we have to realize as you know, when, when someone asks us to do something, even if it's not part of our job description or we're not paid to do it, or we don't have time or energy to do it, but they make us feel really special. And they tell us only you can do it. Nobody can do it as good as you, Sasha or Michelle, you're the best person to do this. It strokes our ego and that feels good in the moment. And we want to say, yes, we want to show up and we want to do the job, even though we may not have the capacity and it would probably be best for us to say, no, we end up saying yes. So it really comes down to, it's not that we need to be more organized. It's not that we need better time management. It's not that, um, you know, if we could just tweak this or that and do things in a different way, then we will be able to get it all done. It's really a fallacy, this idea that we could get it all done. It's, it is. And it's kind of actually, if you like pull yourself back, and look at all the things that you expect yourself to achieve, <laughs> you you are embarrassed by it. You're like, oh right. my gosh, I must think I'm superhuman. Or would I, especially if you think, you know, would I expect my best friend to be able to achieve all of these things or feel bad that she didn't achieve all of these things? Um, and so we just have enormous pressure on ourselves as women to make sure that we're doing everything that we're supposed to do at work and doing everything that we're supposed to do at home. And when we have to say, we can't do that, uh, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the time, or I don't get paid to do that. That's not my mm-hmm. job. 
we -hmm. get this feeling of like, we're failing, right? Instead of, instead of like, just be facts, the facts are, I don't get paid to do that. The facts are, that's not my job. Or the facts are, I don't have the capacity. We make it about a failure. We make it about somehow we're not living up to someone's expectations. Right. And the men in our life don't have this struggle as much as we do. You describe in the book, how your husband had very clear boundaries. (laughs) Yeah. What he was going to do on a certain day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then we also can, you know, I think men are much better at not having guilt for having boundaries. You know, then when we, when we set a boundary, we feel bad about it. Um, we might over-function in some other area to make up for this boundary we set and men just don't do that. Right. So really with caregiving, especially, I find that people pleasing definitely plays a role either with the person that we're caring for or with the care partners within the family, maybe siblings um, or spouses. And we get caught up in this idea that, well, I'm just not doing enough for them. And maybe uh, if I could just uh, give a little more or do a little bit more, then that person will be satisfied or happy. But the reality is, is we're just pouring and pouring, pouring of ourselves to this complete place of depletion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I really, I have a, a heart for people that are caregivers. My parents were foster parents when I was growing up and my youngest foster sister, my mom foster, my parents fostered her for about, uh, I think 17 years, um, until she went into permanent care. And so, uh, you know, I saw my mom, I saw the effects of that on my mom and it, it, in some ways it shaped me to not want to be over, you know, burdened by never having respite care. You know, it took years for my mom even to get like respite care, like Mm -hmm. where she didn't feel bad. Um, and I saw how it burned her out. And then I also, you know, there were so many positive things about caregiving, but there were also this, you know, a lot of negative things. And I really think that part of the reason I struggled with actually having boundaries myself is because my mom didn't have boundaries. And Mm -hmm. we know as women that we model how we treat ourselves from our maternal figure. So we often model how we allow other people to treat us as women from our father or our paternal figure. And we model how we treat ourselves from our maternal figure. And my mom was like this most amazing caregiver, but she never took a break. She never, she never, you know, hardly ever got respite care for years and years. She burned out multiple times. And I think I modeled myself after that. And so then when I went and became a physician and then I had kids, I was like, well, I have to do everything for my kids. Like my mom did for me, but my mom wasn't a cardiac anesthesiologist though, you know? So then I would feel bad if I wasn't at something for my kids and I just had no boundaries. So I think it's also important to note that, that it's, it's really something that we, we learn. It's a behavior we learn. So how do we identify the boundaries that we need? Like how, cause if we can identify, okay, I feel like I'm burnt out. I feel like I'm exhausted. I'm at my bandwidth. How do I know where I need to put a boundary in place? That's a really great question. I always tell people to start with their pain point, their biggest pain point in life. 
I guarantee you, whether it's a person or a project or uh, something at work or something at home or a relationship with a kid or whatever it is, I guarantee your the biggest problem you have in your life is lacking boundaries around whatever that problem is. And it will benefit from boundaries. It may not dissipate. It may not go away, but it will benefit. Even if that problem is with yourself, even if it's with internal talk or internal struggle and addiction or something, um, boundaries are the key. And so start with the biggest thing that's troubling you with your life. And so many times it's because either we aren't keeping our own boundaries that we've promised to ourselves, or mm-hmm. someone else is not is not um, really respecting our boundaries. And we may not have expressed that boundary to that person. Maybe we feel like we can't because there's a power differential. Maybe it's we're afraid that we're going to disappoint them. Maybe it's just always been this way. And so we don't know how to change that relationship or that dynamic. So I have people sit down and then I have them do the brave boundary model that I talk about in the book. It's just four easy questions to ask yourself on how to start to develop a boundary around that problem. This played out in my life around mealtime dinners, grocery shopping, that sort of thing. So after I read the book, I sat down at the fire pit with my husband, we're drinking our coffee. And I said, so I am really struggling (laughs) to feed everybody every day. Like this is just, it was something that used to bring me a lot of joy and pleasure. And just over time, as things changed, evolved in our life, I have found it to be very actually anxiety producing and stressful. And he, I'm very blessed because he was very open and receptive to it. And so I think one of the things for us that I'm grateful for is that being open to the conversation was very important. Um, is part of our relationship and the dynamic there. Mm-hmm. And then playing mm-hmm. with it a little bit to see how can we find a solution? Cause maybe the solution that I had come up with isn't going to be the one that was going to work best for him or our family, but it definitely was a launch point to just read what you shared in the book and then be brave enough, brave enough to bring it up. Cause that was hard. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and did you find, I'm, I love that you're sharing such a real example in your life and such a personal example, because I talk about this in the book, but honestly, I think sharing, creating boundaries with the people that we are closest to is actually harder than sharing boundaries with the people we work with. So many times we think of it's our work life, our work life that's stressing us out. And if we could just work less, we'd, everything would be fine. But a lot of times we have, we need boundaries in our, in our home life. And we are really nervous to express those boundaries with our partner or our kids. Um, you know, I, I have ki- several kids like you do and like 1 million um, kids, you have a million yes. kids <laughs> <laughs> and they all have a million sports and they all have a million activities and I love going to them and I love being there and I love watching them. My husband um, doesn't work nights and weekends, so he can get to many more of those events than I can. And because of that, if there's ever an event and I'm not working, I feel like for years, like I had to be at hundred percent of those. Like if I wasn't at work, I had to be at this event. And even if I, you know, Michelle had been up for like 36 hours and not slept, mm-hmm. I would still go to the soccer, feel like I had to go to the soccer game or basketball game. Otherwise I'm a bad mom, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And it took me probably 
a decade plus just in the last several years for me to actually tell my kids, like, I'm not going to your soccer game. Like, I know that sounds so basic, but like getting the courage to tell them I'm not going to your game tonight. I'm actually going to stay home and go to bed. Like that's so counterculture. What our culture would tell me I should do as a, as a good mom, even though I haven't slept and I have to work again tomorrow. And for my own health, I need to sleep. And I, you know, so one of my friends, she actually said to me, we were talking about this and she said, how many games does, you know, let's just pick on my son, Asher. How many games does he play a year? And I'm like, oh, he probably, I think he plays something like, I, I don't know. Let me count. So I counted and it was something like 95 games a year. Oh and she's like, so you're going to say no to like two. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like 0.01% that you could go to, but you're not going to, you're going to choose not to go to, and you're going to beat yourself up about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, when you put it that way, but mm -hmm. that was a harder conversation than for me telling someone at work, I can't write a paper with them. You right. Know? Right. And I mean, I'm, so what immediately comes up, two things immediately come up for me. Um, one is if you are, let's say your family member is living in senior living right now and you are going every day or multiple times a day mm -hmm. and you need to put a boundary in place on when you are going to visit because it is really about your own restorative health because maybe that is completely maxing you out just to support the idea that that is okay. Like it's a beautiful thing to know that someone is receiving good care and that you don't have to be there every minute. The other mm. thing that came up when you were talking about your son is same daughter with the water bottle. I asked her to do something and she said, but you know, I already have plans with my friend at that time she held a boundary with me. So like once I started having some boundaries and I was building some boundaries in around my life, it was really modeling to your point for my kids, what yes. that can look like for them. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that you are so open and sharing that because I coach a lot of women physicians and women in healthcare and they're burned out and they're mm -hmm biggest problem they focus on is work and the elusive work-life balance. And they think if they do less at work, then they will have better balance. Oftentimes they need boundaries at work, but almost 95% of them need boundaries at home that they don't have because they are working women. And so they feel like when they're at home, they should have, they should do everything that their kid wants them to do at any time of day, any time of night, uh, whatever activity they're asking them to do, if they want them to make homemade, you know, cookies and I with icing sugar cookies for Christmas, even if they're coming off a 24 hour shift, gosh, darn it, they're going to do it because they're a good mom. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, we need to talk about the boundaries at home because the truth is we want to raise kids that have boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, I love when my teenagers will come to me and they're like, mom, it's Friday night and everybody's going to the football game and then they're going to do this thing. And I'm really tired because I had soccer and cheer and all this stuff and I don't want to go. And they're looking to me to say, don't go. <laughs> right. Right. Set a boundary. Your friends will be there tomorrow. Just set a boundary. And if they're not there tomorrow, then they're not really your friends. 
So I want them to say, you know what, guys, I, for my own health, I'm going to stay home and have pizza with my parents tonight and go to bed at eight o'clock. Like Mm -hmm. I want a healthy kid. That's not afraid to say, I'm not, that's not the best for me right now. And, you know, sometimes my kids will even do it to me. They'll say, I know that you really want me to go to this dinner with everybody tonight, but I just want to stay home. And I'll say, okay, because I want to honor their boundaries and I want them to honor mine. So that's awesome that you're teaching them that. I refer to it as shaking the sifter. And every Mm -hmm. time I feel like I have a boundary that I'm putting in place for myself or with other people or around a specific activity, like I changed my relationship with alcohol a long time ago. And um, I shake the sifter and like, not everybody's going to make it. Like it's going to change the ecosystem of, of who is around me and who's in my life. Um, So to that point, not everybody's going to be really excited when we start to set some boundaries. I love what you said. (laughs) Um, People who do not like or respect your boundaries are the very people for which boundaries need to exist. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Nobody, I mean, people that don't have boundaries don't understand boundaries. That's Mm -hmm. really, that's very key. And there's a lot of people in high positions and people who are leaders, quite frankly, that have no boundaries. And they think that the way they got there was having no boundaries. And some of that is true, right? I mean, if you are a yes person, you will get promoted, um, but you'll also burn out and you may not be the best leader because you won't respect boundaries that your people that are following you need or that are setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes people that are benefiting from us having no boundaries are the people that will reject our boundaries the most. Um and, you know, for me, this shows up really with work texts and emails at night. Um, I used to really stroke my ego when somebody from work would ask me a question at 10 o'clock at night. I was like, wow, I'm so important, right? Like this, I'm the only person that can answer this question. And then I realized how unhealthy that is. And sometimes I would be angry that they would be texting me. I'm like, well, what's, what, whose fault is this? It's really my fault because I haven't set the boundary. And so now I have really strict boundaries around anything work-related that's not emergent. Um, and I honor my own boundaries and I don't respond to texts and emails at 10 o'clock at night because there's people actually on call that are paid to respond to those messages and texts. So I think it's really an evolving thing. You know, I think we work on our boundaries year to year and we just have to give ourselves grace. And it can be a little uncomfortable and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say that your wellness, there's one side is likability and comfortableness. And the other side is your well-being, and you have to choose because most women that come to me for coaching, the number one question they want is, how do I stay well and be liked? Now oh. it sounds different, right? Like, oh, I everybody wants me to do this thing, but I don't want to disappoint people. But what they're really saying is, how do I still stay well and be liked? And I say, you can't. <laughs> right. Not everybody's gonna like the well you because the well you is someone with boundaries. And the people that are benefiting from you having no boundaries aren't gonna love that. That's just the truth of it. 
I mean, this made me laugh out loud. You, um, let me get my glasses on here. You wrote, you cannot expect people who have been receiving the gift of you having zero boundaries with them to react happily when that gift goes away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So true. <laughs> well, you, you talk about self agency and being a boundary rebel. Tell me more mm. about that. Yeah. I just think boundaries are so counterculture for us as women that we really have to see ourselves as rebels and we have to embrace the fact that when you are operating in an environment, uh, whether it's at work or whether it's in your family or whether it's in a community organization, all of those people are operating under the assumption that your answer to their ask is going to be yes. And when you say no, uh, you're a rebel, <laughs> you know, like, so when I started really saying, I'm going to do the job that's on my job description, this is radical for women. It is radical and rebellious to just do the job on your job description, because most of us are doing 10, 20, 30% of the work we do every day is not on our job description and we're not paid to do it. And that's facts. So when you say, I'm just going to stick to this job and do what's on my job description, you become a rebel. It's radical. And you, everyone's like, whoa, what's happening over there? Like what's happening with Sasha? And really you're just doing your job and you're doing a great job at whatever it is you're paid to do, but you're putting up boundaries. And so you have to be embraced that it's going to be seen as a rebel. And when I started doing that in my own job, in my own life, several years ago, all these other women, it was so interesting to see the response. They were mad. They were Mm -hmm. like, well, why are you doing that? I didn't know I could say no. And I'm like, you can say no to work you're not paid to do, <laughs> right? But we're so, but the but society, the expectation is from our organizations and our structures is that we were gonna say yes. So when you ser- start saying no, and when you start setting boundaries, you're gonna feel uncomfortable. You're gonna be seen as a rebel and you just gotta embrace it. You know, I love the idea of people sitting down and writing their job description as a family care partner or caregiver. Mm, Like what is going to work for me? What am I okay doing? What are my boundaries? What are my deal breakers? And oftentimes when um, someone is moving to senior living, it's because family care partners have just hit a wall as to what they can or are willing to do. And I just think we have an opportunity here for people to identify what those things are before we are banging our heads against them. Mm, That's brilliant. And how, and also, you know, it also brings up when you say that, the fact that boundaries are clear and clear is kind, as Brene Brown always says, right? And when you, when you set those expectations up and you communicate your boundaries, it's being kind to others actually, because then there's no like, well, I thought you were going to do this. Well, why aren't you doing this? Well, oh, you thought I was doing this, right? It's very transparent. And it's, it's actually kind to do that to other people. Well, and within the family care partner system, it's kind to leverage each other's strengths and not judge each other if they are not able or willing to do something. I just see that time and time again with family Mm -hmm. members that people are getting frustrated with their brother or their sister because they are or are not doing something. And I think it's, um, have you heard of Mokitas? I just learned about these. No. 
the village villages in Papua New Guinea, the health of their village is measured by the number of mokitas. Mokitas are the things that everybody knows, but nobody talks about. They're like the elephants in the room. So high number of mokitas, not healthy village, low number of Mm. mokitas, healthy village. So Mm. having these conversations as a family, first of all, read the book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> through through the lens as a family caregiver. Um, and then have the conversations, be willing to be uncomfortable and identify like what you are and are not willing to do, who is good at doing what. Um, and then you talk about having a co-pilot. Yeah. With boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super important to have a co-pilot because. I think that you really have to have someone, I mean, all of us want someone in our life, whether it's our higher power for me, it's, I'm a Christian and I'm a woman of faith. So for me, it's God. Um, But whether it's your best friend or your spouse or your parent or whoever, I think it's really important that you are known, right? We all want to be known. I mean, that's really what we desire as humans is for someone to know us and still love us for who we really are. And if you think about what a boundary is, it's just a way for your priorities, which are a reflection of you, to match how you live your life. I mean, that's all a boundary is. It's it's a protective fence that allows you to keep the good in and that your priorities match how you live your life and what's on your calendar. And having a co-pilot and having someone next to you or someone that understands you and can hold you accountable and can really validate uh, your boundaries is huge. Um, That's often what I do as a coach, you know, is people, I just, we just talk through the lack of my, I have my life and I have my priorities, but they're not matching actually what I'm doing and what, how my calendar, what my calendar looks like. How do we reconcile that? And oftentimes it's, oh, I set this boundary and now I feel bad. Should I have not set this boundary? Is this an okay boundary to set? Is this person going to be upset with me? Am I being too mean or harsh or, you know, too rigid if I say no to this? And it's just validating that. And so having a co-pilot, I think is really helpful when you're setting boundaries. So good. Well, you um, are in the business of helping people on every front as a physician, as a parent, and through Become Brave Enough. And you have conferences, you have the, you're the host of the Brave Enough show, and it's in the 11th season. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The 11th season. And your book, Brave Boundaries, I, it really set my whole thinking process in a new direction. And I'm so grateful to it because I think not only am I a better woman as a result of it, but I think our family is stronger. And I think it has helped um, me show up and do the things that I'm meant to do in the world as a result. Mm. So I love that. Love that. Very grateful. Any parting words for families, people who are on this caregiving journey, as I'm sure, you know, most of them are women Mm -hmm. and they are at various stages of life, typically in that 45 to 60 plus range. And, um, just any final thoughts for them? You know, I would say 
you know, we always hear, put your oxygen mask on yourself first. Um, uh, I would say that boundaries are good. Boundaries are kind. Boundaries are life-giving. And in order for you to stay well, you really need to do what's best for your longevity as a caregiver and your longevity to stay healthy. And that giving yourself grace to set those boundaries is, is huge and just be brave enough to set them. Love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. 